The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The most important thing about your business could be how your products are packaged. Packaging is the signature that you leave everywhere, and it speaks volumes about who you are and what you do. This is Ditch the Box with David Marinek. In today's show, we'll talk about marketing, increased sales, and how it relates to product packaging. Have you explored alternatives like flexible packaging? You should. It can save your company a bundle. Now, here is David Marinek. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ditch the Box, the marketing slash flexible retail packaging slash how to build your brand radio show. I'm David Marinak, your host. As you know, our show is about marketing and flexible retail packaging with a few other related topics in between, such as how to build your brand, dealing with major retailers, and even supply chain. Today's guest is Gary Jacob. President of Scoochie Pet Products based out of Long Island, New York. Like all guests, we want to learn a little bit more about Gary, the person, and then spend some time in the remaining segments focusing on his core business. Now, Gary Jacobs has a very interesting background. He went to State University of New York, was a candidate for the Suffolk County Legislature, 12th District, was chief correspondent for the Long Island Backstory, and an advocate for family court reform. As if that wasn't enough, he has owned or operated a number of pet supply companies from Puppies Plus to his newest venture, Scoochie Pet Products. Gary Jacobs, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me, David. So let's go back to the early days. I love the fact that you were a trainer at the Suffolk County Meadows. Uh, is it Meadows Bluegrass Downs Racetrack? Tell us about right, that. Right, Suff- uh, Suffolk Meadows on Long Island and then Bluegrass Downs in Paducah, Kentucky. <laughs> and I've actually one of those guys that have been to Paducah, Kentucky, um, not necessarily the Bluegrass Downs, but um, tell us about what you did back in those days. <laughs> well, after I graduated, I graduated actually uh, State University of New York at Delhi, uh, as uh-huh. you stated, with a degree in agriculture and uh, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life other than the fact that I loved animals. I love farming, even though I grew up on, uh, in Long Island and really not such a rural area. But uh, I always wanted to help people with farming and, uh, and I was against factory farming and I thought I could change the world and do something with animals and really enjoy my life. So uh when I got out of college, uh, I said, you know what, I love horses, I love being around those people. Uh, I got my trainer's license and uh, realized pretty fast that it was going to be tough to make a living at that on Long Island because everything was so expensive out here and I didn't own a farm. So uh, I packed up and moved out to Paducah, Kentucky <laughs> and tried to make a go of that for a couple of years. I did that for about two years, training uh, 13 racehorses. Were they, were, they, uh, were they thoroughbreds? Were they um, the, the trotters? Is that what they call those? Actually, the they, were, uh, they, were, they were quarter horses. Quarter horses, okay. Quarter, and that's, I so mean, that's tough business, right? I mean, that's not, that's not something that's, I mean, you've got a lot more that's involved in that than just kind of, I mean, I know training is more of a broad stroke, but tell us more what, what being a trainer is involved. I mean, you're doing everything from exercising to um, moderating their diet and the whole bit, right? 
Yeah, I was, I was actually, I was pretty naive, you know, when I was, I guess, uh, you know, 20, <laughs> 19, 20 years old, and I was naive, and I thought, well, what's the big deal? I get a horse, and, you know, I, I take him out, and I work hard, and, and uh, I win races, and I do yeah, the rest and you of make my a lot of money. And then and, 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 exactly and the girls well, and love I, you. Know, it's I, as I could, simple as that. It, it, it didn't actually work out that way because you know <laughs> racehorses are big business, and especially yeah. out in Kentucky, you know people own big farms. They've been in it for generations, and right. uh, you know here comes this new guy, you know, Yankee from New York, who's going to load up a horse trailer with thirteen horses and think he's going to win races. But uh, it, it was a good experience. You know, it's a lot of work being there at five o'clock every morning. Oh, yeah. and, you know, and you have to be there on race nights at nine o'clock, and like you said, you you exercise the horses, you clean the stalls uh you know you, you put together their their exercise routine but i, I realized after about uh, probably about a year and a half that it wasn't going to work and then i stuck it out for another half a year but you know what it was it was one of these good learning experiences and i think i would have regretted if i never tried it so yeah, I'm, I'm glad that i tried good it for you for doing I enjoyed it. it good for you for doing and i i know i'll never do it again <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's, so I, that's I checked truly it one of those bucket. life lessons then right Absolutely. Honestly, I wouldn't train it. I wouldn't trade it for the world. There was a lot of uh, it was hard work, but it was and it was fun. But you realize that not everything is what it appears to be. Well, and if anyone's ever spent any time down into that that Lexington Paducah uh, area, I mean, it, it, like you had mentioned before, that's not only big business, but we're talking about these majestic farms. I mean, a kid from Long Island coming down there is definitely going to ruffle a lot of feathers, um, and you're not going to get the um, the benefit <laughs> of the doubt with 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 all the other people. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. They used to page me on the speaker. Well, the Yankee from New York, come to the training <laughs> office, please. There was no bones about that that I didn't. They, they didn't think I fit in there, <laughs> but uh, you know, eventually it's, it's, you, re, you, you earn their respect. Though after you're after oh, you're yeah, in there, you're, you true. become one of them. But it's not; it doesn't come naturally, you know, when an outsider comes into that uh, into that field. Right, that's amazing. And, and you know what? As a side note here, real quick, have you always? I mean, since those days, and I know you since moved on, but have horses always been a special place uh, in your heart? Yeah. Um, in that world, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I just, you know what? It's not only it's not only the horses, but I love being around the people. You know, people who like animals and care for animals, and just the smell of it, of, of being in the barn and the hay. Yeah. Just, yeah. Those, it's, you know what? It's the whole culture, I think, that I like of, you know, whether it's dairy farms or horse farms or, you know, people who just who love nature and, and love animals. So, yeah, I still, I still do miss that. You know, it's like interesting. I, I remember my days working on a, um, and it was more of a produce farm. It was anything but a, uh, um, you know, that kind of thing with animals and that kind of stuff. But it's interesting. It's a way of life, and and there there are there there there's truly that. I don't know how you say. It. It, but there's that uh, there's that bond that you connect with people that do it for a living, and, right, and it's, it's, there is a, there is an absolute appreciation and respect um, for the long hours. For the you know, no one rarely is someone going to um, become um, a gazillionaire unless, of course, they find oil on their property uh, or <laughs> right. you know whatever. But uh, right. you know, but on the other hand. Um, they do it because they love it, and, and that's really refreshing in this day and age. And, and there is that bond, and it's it's a it's a mutual respect. Yeah, that that is a good point. No, nobody there thought we were ever going to get rich, you know, you know whether you know it's uh, raising horses or you know breeding or you know somebody's raising chickens or hog, you're not, you're really not going to get rich being a dairy farmer. <laughs> well, so it's, but you're doing it because you love it, and everybody understands exactly. it. So, so maybe it's not yeah. a cutthroat. Maybe that's why it's nice too. That that good point, good point. 
well, everybody let's work together. From there into into the puppies plus world. That was one of the natural progressions after, um, or natural, or, or or the next step, I should say, from the from the days at the uh, at the racetrack. So tell us about puppies plus and what were you doing? Well, after. When I was in Kentucky and I realized that I wasn't going to make it and I put my tail between my legs and had to call my parents because I literally didn't have the gas money to drive home. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I called my parents and said, please send me money. I'll come home. So uh, I came home, you know, back to Long Island, uh, moved back in with my parents and uh, I I got a job selling uh, selling dog food because I just looked in the paper and I said, you know what, I just want to do something with animals. I got a job with uh, with a with a pet company, a pet food distributor, selling uh, Imes and Yukonuba dog foods, yep. and I just, I just really love the industry. And I said, you know what, I can make a living here. Uh, I'm very good at it because it comes natural to me. This is what I love. I, to me, I couldn't believe people were paying me to go to pet stores and, and talk to pet store owners. That was my dream. So uh, I did that for two years. I said, you know what, I, I want to open up my own store, and. Uh, got some money together with my family and we opened up a store uh, on Long Island called uh, Puppies Plus and this is before all the big box retailers opened up sure you know it was before the pet goes the pet smarts and just the consolidation where so much money got thrown into into the pet industry and we had a really nice run for uh, a couple of years and then the first uh, the first pet go on Long Island opened up literally two doors down from me and oh. uh, yeah and, and I, I said wow this is, this is a tough thing to compete with I better yeah. I better start to look at something else, and then uh, I went back into with the manufacturing and got a job with uh, a toy a pet toy manufacturer called Votoys, and uh, where they imported toys uh, mainly from China and uh, some from some from other countries also, but mainly China. And I did that for uh, over twenty years. I became a partner, sales manager, and then partner, and uh, made a good living doing that for over twenty years, traveling the world. Yeah, I definitely want to touch base on the on the vote toys part of it. But the, one of the things that's interesting, and, and I think, and I don't want to gloss over it because I remember um, the days of not necessarily the Petco and the PetSmart um, invading the small players, but I remember the days of the Home Depots going up against the uh, the smaller home repair um, world. So I can only imagine um, how I guess you could say demoralizing. Um, well, I shouldn't you know, have it's, glossed it's, over, it's but maybe it was psychological that I did that because it wasn't a good feeling. In my, you know, a stage in my career because I built this whole business, you know, with the American dream is owning, you know, a mom and pop store. And it really was great, you know, being a small business making, you know, we worked a lot, but, you know, we made a decent living and we really had fun doing it. And then when these big boxes started coming in and my feeling was, well, why would anybody want to go to these? We're a mom and pop, you know, we know all the, all of our customers, but at the end of the day, I just saw the trend coming with with the bigger the big box stores putting out right. uh, the mom and pop pet stores, and uh, I ended up I ended up getting out because I saw you know what was going to happen. I, I really saw the handwriting on the wall. The business you know would drop probably. I think we dropped maybe forty percent <clears throat> within the first month that they opened. Oh. And you can't really, I mean, again, as anyone that's kind of been uh, involved with these uh, these retailers, I mean, it's goodness gracious. I mean, they're, they're at a whole different level than you and me, and it's so hard to survive. Yeah, I mean, I remember looking at a bag of dog food, that, and I used to sell it for, say, $25, you know, at re- and then I'd, I'd look next door to the, to the Petco, and they were selling it for, you know, almost half the price as I was selling oh. it for. And they, they were selling brutal. it for what I was buying it from, you know, from a distributor for. So I said, this, this is no, there's just no way that this is going to end, end well for me. So, uh, you know, so I went back into to the manufacturing, and I got lucky that I, 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 I consciously sought out a, a family-owned 
business that I was hoping wouldn't sell out, although you never know. But uh, sure. you know, this company that I went with, Votoys, was a family business, third generation, and uh, they never did sell out to the, to the big guys. Yeah, I, I noticed that, and I and I really want to dig into that one too. But after the stop, it uh, if you would with Puppies Plus, is Puppies Plus? Did you have one um, one spot, one store, or was it a couple of stores? Right, we had we had one retail uh, one retail location, which was uh, in Hicksville, New York, right? sure. pretty much uh, a little bit west of the center of the island, and uh, and we tried we we sold puppies, and we you know we bought from uh, we started to build a breeder network, which I had actually known a lot of them, or I got a few of them from uh, when I lived in Kentucky. Uh, then we, it was very easy to buy from local breeders at the time. Uh, the reg- there wasn't as much regulation, and there wasn't a big stigma with pet shops back then selling puppies, so. Regular, you know, local breeders who would breed, they try to sell a few of them in the newspaper, and if they couldn't sell them before they got old, there would be no problem with them bringing them into into us and in, in Puppies Plus and having us sell the sell the puppies for them. Now there's sort of a stigma with uh, more of a stigma with buying from from uh, from pet shops because of the bad publicity with a few bad uh, these bad puppy mills out there, I know. Um, which I gave know. the industry a really a really bad name. Um, but we also tried to do the professional dog foods were starting to become uh, popular. Uh, you know, back when when I grew up, we used to just buy dog food in the supermarket, and sure. nobody thought about you know dog nutrition, and the dog did fine, and that was the end of it. So that was sort of the ink. I, I I did see that this was going to be a big industry because I I did realize that. It wasn't just a, a sales pitch that they were selling dog food for twice the price as Purina Dog Chow. They really did make a difference in the animal's life. You know, he looked better, his stools were better, they lived longer. And uh, I really did see that that was going to be a big trend. What I didn't see was just how it was going to become such big business. And it sort of bit the hand that fed it. You know, the mom and pops grew all this business over the years. And then the, then the big chains came in and put all the small guys who created the business, put them out of business. Yeah, and I remember even before um, we really kind of dug into the uh, the puppies. Plus, one of the things that was interesting is you had had a background of selling uh, the Iams food, and at that time, Iams was was um, it, it wasn't in all the retail stores. I would think I, I remember it was it was a different kind of setup. I mean, they kind of came in with what refrigeration, refrigeration, and a whole bunch of really high end stuff. I mean, you got to see. Uh, firsthand that there really was big money in that pet world. No, yes, right, right, and and they and, and you're right. They were they were sort of it, it, they would never sell to a man. They used to say, "We'll never sell to the mass. We'll never. We're not a grocery product. People need to talk about our products and explain why you're paying you know double the price for a bag of dog food. You right. really needed to educate people, and that's what the mom and pops. Uh, that's what the mom and pops did. And uh, like like you mentioned, I, when I went to work for the distributor uh, called Fauna Foods out of Queens. Yep. Um, um, we really built this this business. I mean, we, it was just growing like crazy, and we were opening up pet shops, and we had to educate them about why they should carry the food and why is it better, because a lot of them were just brought up saying, eh, dog food is dog food, it doesn't matter. You know, Why would anybody pay double the price? So there was a lot of education that we did there, but it was a fun time. Well, and and that's what's and, and that's I'm glad you mentioned that because it's it also is so interesting and I don't know if you agree with us or not, but it's something we're seeing kind of come full circle um, in our little world. What's interesting is you had mentioned you know a lot of what you did at that time was educating and was was explaining you know why this particular dog food was better and why it you know deserves the higher price point or whatever it may be. And and isn't it, and it to me it's interesting because that's really a lot of what we do in our little world. 
um, of marketing, if you will, and, and, and packaging our real business, if you will, uh, the flexible packaging. There's a lot of, and I know this actually will tie into um, you know, your main business now, because so much of it has to do with educating the, the consumer, educating the client, educating the customer. You know, why should they buy that product and why is it different? And um, because really, in essence, Gary, we're, we're, we're living in a world now that, um, you know, we've got to be different. We have to really and truly have a story and be good storytellers. And, and, I, and I just I think you got a really good lesson out on those early days because I think it's going to tie in uh, to Scoochie Pet um, when we get to that. I think it's just a really big deal. I think it's really cool. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I learned you can't just put something on the shelf. And, and as, a, as an example, I, I work for this uh, distributor and we sold really good foods. And the owner of Imes, he was a marketing, you know, I guess a marketing yep. genius, really. Yep. You know, he came out with different names. That set him apart from everybody else. You know, Yukonuba was the name, was the main brand, and didn't mean anything. Yep. You know, but everybody remembered what the heck, and it made people talk about Yukonuba. And well, even when I went to a store, they would ask what it meant, and I would tell the story about how the owner claimed Matil was in college, and it was a nickname that somebody used. I don't remember what they used it for, but then he came out with these bright pink bags that were coated, you know, a nice shiny bag, oh, yeah. when everything else was a brown, like basically a paper bag, <clears throat> and. Uh, it stuck out, and every brand that he started creating had its own color. And people would come to the store and say, give me the pink bag, give me the yellow bag. <laughs> and this guy was just a marketing genius. And the funny yep. thing is, years later, it was bought by Procter & Gamble. Yep. And some genius there decided, we're going to change all the packaging. And you know they what? changed it, all yeah, the packaging. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and the, the company died. It sure did. It, it and killed the product. It, you know what? And isn't that, it's fascinating to me because I was, I, were, I didn't remember it was Procter & Gamble, but I remember they were bought out and it was big bucks. I mean, this guy cashed off. Oh, huge, off billions. Them. Yeah. Billions. And, and the, the thing that really is that lesson for all of our listeners in general, and you and me for that matter, Gary, is, you know, sometimes, um, you know, going in and folding into the big conglomerate isn't, now, now, God bless the guy that had billions and moved on, but goodness gracious for the Procter and Gamble's of the world out there, sometimes um, changing things is not necessarily a good idea. And um, goodness gracious, that guy had a formula and they totally screwed the pooch, if you ask me. Right, exactly. And you know, I think that the owner of it, being it was a family business, even though he got huge, he had his yep. finger on the pulse. Yep. Uh, Procter and Gamble, they had a great marketing team, but they didn't have their finger on the on pulse. The pulse. Of the yeah, you're industry. right. And yeah. they just lost it. You know, they looked at, hey, this is what we did to build Tide and all these other things. Yep. But there's a difference when somebody's feeding their dog and they didn't realize. <laughs> They didn't realize it. They didn't realize the history of the pet shops of people coming in asking for a pink bag or a blue bag or a yellow bag. That you know, they, they just they literally just changed it. And they changed the color scheme, and people got confused. And now many most pet stores don't even carry that brand anymore. Yeah, I I, I remember that. And and you know, the other you you hit a, another interesting point too that I think it's really big in the and, and, and somebody like yourself who's really spent his entire career in the pet world. Pets are different than Tide. Pets are different than detergent right. or soap. I mean, these are family. And, um, and I often found it interesting because back in the, in the really, really struggling years of our little business in 07, when our entire country, the economy, was an absolute mess, the one area or one segment of our business that continued to percolate was the cottage industries of the pet world, birds, dogs, cats, horses, and the thing I, I remember with my team looking at those numbers and going, what in the world is it that these, but again, until we really realize that this is, these are family, these are family members and people will go 
go hungry. People will before they take Fido or, um, you know, Barney the kitten off of his high liver, high protein diet. And there's money there. And, um, and it's, it was just fascinating to see. And it's pretty much proved to be the case. Yeah, I think to some extent when things get tough, people want to take better care of their animals. Yep. And if you could tell, if you could convey somehow to the consumer that this product is actually better for them or will make them happier or will make you happier, they'll spend the money. But yeah. uh, after I left the one company, the distributor that we sold Imes, I went to another company for four years called uh, Triumph Pet Foods. Yeah. And the owner saw all this money being made on dog food, and he said, I don't believe, he was an old school, and he said, you know what, I don't believe that these foods are any better. I fed my dog, you know, table scraps and puppy chow for years. He said, I think it's all in the marketing. So he took a bag of food that really wasn't that good and tried to charge the same price as the other guys charged. And he failed three times doing it. And it never no worked. Kidding. At the end of the day, the product needs to perform. Well, you, you exa- especially you, something you like that. that. Out. You, you may fool right. somebody once, but right. you know what? They, it, it's got to perform. And uh, that, that was a key. That was something that he missed out. So that was another lesson that when we get to Scucci, I'll, it, was, it was something that always stuck in my mind. It was that, you know what? People are willing to pay for the. You got to get them to buy it the first time. Right. And then it has to work. And then they'll pay the they'll pay the higher uh, money again if yeah. it's worth it. You know, and 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 I and I, I really appreciate you just kind of sharing those things because it's those kind of life lessons that that continue to help motivate us in our little world. And I hate to kind of keep tying it back, but it's so right on. You know, one of the things um, in our world of packaging that that we try to impress upon our clients in, in our world is that look, just like you said, you know, we provide you with packaging that's as good as, if not better, than the big boys have. However, the way, the main thing is something you just said, Gary. The product has to perform. You you know you have to have that great product, and you can't you can't fake it. If you fake it, you you're a one trick pony, and you're done. Um, and I, it's just such a great lesson for anybody, you know, at the end of the day, you know, forget, forget buying packaging from me, forget, you know, doing anything, have a great product first, make a great product. And then, and then you're on to something. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And listen, there there are a lot of great products on the market. So then you have to set yourself apart from everybody else, but you could spend as much as you want. You know, at the end of the day, if it doesn't work, you're just throwing your money out, you know, unless it's a product that's a one-time deal and you're going to move on, um, which most, most, what I do is not, you know, we, you know, we look for repeat sales sure. and, and building a, building a brand that people will come to the store and, and look for and say, you know what, I know that anything that has the label Scoochie Pet on it is going to be good quality, which of course is not easy to do, but that's our ultimate, that's our ultimate goal is to get to that point where people would look at it and say, you know what, it's a Scoochie product. I know it's going to be a good quality, uh, good, a good quality product. Well, in the last four minutes of this segment, before we go to break, let's, let's kind of tie this thing up with your time with Vogue Toys. I mean, that you were saying you were kind of dealing some, you know, with some, some products overseas and, and in the U.S. Tell us about your time there, and, and, and let's try to wrap that one with a nice Sure. Well, what that company did was we, we manufactured uh, mainly dog toys. Uh, it's dog toys and cat toys, which unfortunately they they end up all being made overseas. Uh, right. It's very difficult to make uh, these type uh, types of products in America. Although everybody says they want American products, when it comes to dog chewing on it, they don't want to pay the price for it. Correct. So uh, 
So this was, was, a, was an import company. And uh, over the years, the business had evolved where we had to do a lot of our own creating the products and having our own designers in America, sending the art overseas, coming back, engineering it. But over the last, I would say, uh, eight to ten years, they've gotten a lot better in China about, number one, their quality control is much better than it used to be, and number two, their, their design teams are much better than they used to be. When it comes to packaging, we still always did that domestically because they just don't get it over there. Right. You know, they, they just don't get it. It's, a, you know, it's another world. Um, but I did spend a lot of time traveling over there making products. Uh, I did the trade shows, our international trade shows in, in Europe, and uh, you know, that was a, was a good learning experience, and also traveling all over the United States and seeing the difference there. So being doing that for over 20 years was really uh, was really just a great education for me, working for a family business and realizing all the, you know, all the all the ins and outs, the pros, and of course the the cons of dealing with uh, you know multiple family members. That that's always interesting. So uh, I learned a lot <laughs> from that. But <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, it was definitely it was definitely a learning experience, and all these things put together was what made me decide to start my own company and say, you know what, I'm going to control my own destiny, because no, ma- no matter what, when you're working for somebody, it's, you're not really controlling your own destiny. And the American dream is building is building your own company. Without, with absolutely, without, without question, I know there's, um, and that's boy, we could run with that one, and I, and I do want to circle back on that. But you've got some other cool stops before we really kind of dig into Scoochie Pet, because I really want to hear, I mean, about your life as a uh, chief correspondent uh, with a Long Island backstory. I want to hear about your your days of the Suffolk County Legislature as being a candidate. So um, we're going to take a quick break with talking with my friend Gary Jacobs with Scoochie Pet. Stay tuned, folks. We will be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you love to travel? Now, that's a silly question, isn't it? Who doesn't love to travel? Join Lindsay T. Boyd, a.k.a. the Dreamweaver, for Travel Time. A professional travel agent, Lindsay will spotlight the world of travel. 
from maps and other travel tools to make your trips easier, to your rights as a passenger, to different aspects of travel, such as sports, faith, or experiential vacations. Travel Time with Lindsay T. Boyd, Dreamweaver, airs live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Tune in each week for Monica Phillips and powerful conversations. This is a thought-provoking show for business people, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We'll feature today's thought leaders and industry trendsetters from across several locations and industries. Give yourself permission to be inspired and live a fulfilling life. Be sure to listen to Powerful Conversations live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Ditch the Box with David Marinak. If you would like more information about our program, send David an email to david at standuppouches.net. That's david at standuppouches.net. Now back to Ditch the Box. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Ditch the Box. We're talking with my friend Gary Jacobs with Scoochie Pet. But before we really dig into Scoochie Pet, Gary, I really want to touch base because it it helps. A lot of times um, people have asked me, well, why do you want to hear about my old stuff? Let's just talk about my business now. And, and And I agree. But you've brought up a lot of really cool things that have kind of helped develop you, um, the person. And obviously, I know that kind of really flavors into the Scoochie Pet and how successful that company is going to be. And I believe that based upon the stops and, 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 and trials and tribulations that you've had along the way, if that makes any sense. Um, and I just, you know, and I, and I really want to tie in a few other little pieces here that maybe or maybe not maybe a direct hit, but... You know, tell us about the time from from going from a national sales manager to a candidate for the Suffolk County Legislature. Was that <laughs> okay. how, how was yeah, that? We'll go there. How did so, that work? I'll just be laid down on my couch now. So where this <laughs> where, the, the way that developed was actually during so during my uh, my tenure at, at Votoys, uh, I'd been married for ten years, and yep. like many Americans, unfortunately, my marriage uh, dissolved, and. I got stuck in a big custody battle uh, here on Long Island in, in New York, and literally uh, I was in court for 14 years, oh. and that just it really, really took its toll on me mentally, um, even you know physically, just being under stress for that long. It also literally wiped out my my entire life savings, uh, just under a million dollars in assets. Oh. You know, which for me, you know, I thought that was great from nothing. I I paid for my house, had college saved up, and right. literally with the course of this divorce, I was just I was just financially decimated, and uh, in fact, that's a big part of of why Votoys ended up. I ended up leaving because the company re- really it started to fail because being in the main person at Votoys who was selling, right. you, you know, it's hard to focus on sales when you're when when you're in court every week and you know you're fighting this horrible battle with with custody with your children it's very hard to focus and as you know with sales you have to be into it because otherwise it, it comes across to your customers that you're not yeah, into absolutely. it Correct. and uh you know even people would say to me you know gary you know you're you're, you're not focused you're not the same you know the, you i lost my passion you know to to sell sure absolutely and uh you know i i, I was just really so much of my mental uh 
I meant my, my mental state was was consumed by the divorce, and you only have so much in you. So that was that was a tough uh, time period. And as I started going through it and realizing there was a lot of a lot of corruption, and there was a bias against fathers, and the bias it was the courts were sort of set up to tear families apart because that's how everybody made their money. And uh, you know, I went into it again naive. You know, it's one of these things that, like, getting into, you know, uh, the puppy business and competing with the big stores. You know, you're a little bit naive and training horses until you actually experience it. And, and everybody had said, you know, there's a bias against fathers and mothers always get custody. And I said, hey, I read about it, and they say it's fifty-fifty. So, you know, I'm a good father. I'll just go in and I'll either share custody, which is what I really wanted to do, right. or I'll win custody. And uh, I realized when I got in there that. The only thing that the courts did was made the lawyers get rich and destroyed families. And there was going to be no winner at the end of the day. You know, the only winner was going to be the lawyers. The lawyers, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, once you're in the system, I, I couldn't get out. And it just really, really, it took a toll on me. And I said, you know what? It, it destroyed me financially and, and hurt my life and really, really damaged my kids emotionally. And yeah. I said, you know what? I'm not going to let this happen to to other people. I'm going to do whatever I can. And I want to try to make something good come out of this horrible situation. And I became uh, I became an advocate for I didn't, I, wasn't, I was never really a father's rights advocate because right. when I, I've met a lot of mothers along the way who lost custody also, and it was just as tragic for actually probably more tragic for them because the society doesn't expect a mother to lose custody. So uh, it was tragic for them. I just met so many people who were. In my position, it just destroyed them, and they were heartbroken. And I said, I'm, I'm going to fight back. So I became an advocate as best I could. started because now I had years' experience at, at sure. the court system. And it was personal and, experience um, at that, mind you. I, yeah, experience I didn't wish I had. I wish I didn't right. know about. But uh, I became president of uh, Americans for Legal Reform, which was is one of the oldest uh, legal reform groups in, in the United States. And... Uh, and through through that, it gave me a little bit more publicity, and people started saying, "Why don't you run for office?" And I was really never that political, you know. I, I was, you know, I would vote. I'd never voted in a primary in my life. I didn't even understand how how you run for office. In fact, to give you an idea, David, how naive I was, the day I decided to do it, I literally I, I looked online. I said, "The board of elections is out in Yapank, New York." I got in my car, I drove out there, and I said, "I want to run for Suffolk County Legislature this year." And they looked at me like I had two heads. I go, what, I, I can't run? How do I get on the ballot? Yeah, what's the matter with this? the whole process, you have to go with your party that you're involved with, and you have to get petitions, and then you have to be, you know, nominated, and this whole long process. And so I waited another year and, and got educated, and uh, I started going to some of the political meetings, and really people were, were very supportive of me doing it. And I used to say, you know, I don't feel like I'm represented in government. And that's what my key is going to be. Uh, my slogan was a, a real representative of the people. And uh, I did. I got on the ballot for a county legislature uh, on the Democratic ticket. And uh, and I ran a campaign, which was, you know, that that's another whole education with, the, oh, yeah. you know, reporting and the financing and the, all the different rules. But we raised a little over $70,000, which, you know, oh, for a newcomer was, was, was pretty good. And uh, Absolutely. what I liked about it is it gave me a soapbox. I, I would laugh that before I ran, 
Nobody cared about my opinion. I was just right. another right. another poor guy who got screwed in court. And right. uh, all of a sudden, now I'm on the ballot mm-hmm. on the Democratic ticket, and all the newspapers are asking me questions, and, and people are asking me questions. Like, all of a sudden, I became a smarter person because I was legitimized. So uh, it was good for that aspect. Unfortunately, I, I didn't win, but I ran against an, uh, you know, an incumbent who had been in office for, I think, four terms before I ran against him and challenged him. Uh, but I did learn a lot. I met a lot of incredible people. Uh, the debate process was good for me because I had never done a debate in my life. And, uh, you know, you're nervous at first getting up there. And, you know, uh, it was, so it really was a great learning experience. I met a lot of people. I learned a lot. And after I lost, I said, okay, politics is pretty ugly. And <laughs> this is probably not what I want to do. So I said, uh, I'm going to advocate more in court, do protests. But what I realized right. was the power of the, uh, of the press was very important because people kept quoting what I said in the newspaper and, you know, people would see me and go, Oh, Gary, I I saw you in, uh, in Newsday or New York times or on channel, channel 12 news. And that's what people cared about. You know, was, was that somebody else thought that I was important. So they put me in the news. So, uh, I said, you know, how can I get myself out there more? And I, I started doing more radio interviews. Anytime somebody asked me to be on TV, I would be a guest. You know, no matter what I was doing, right. I would drop it and, and be a guest on TV. Um, and a lot of it was, was public access. People would ask me to be on their public access shows. I said, man, this is the best thing. It's, it's free, free advertising. I yeah. can tell my story. I'm not getting paid to do it, so nobody can fire me. And, you know, I'm not taking any money from anybody, so I can be my own man. And uh, within a couple months, I I learned how to do TV, and I I found a good producer. And I signed up for a public access show and, uh, you know, registered the name Long Island Backstory. And that was going to be my avenue to to vent about the judicial system and tell people, you know, what needs to change. So I did that for the first couple months. We sort of just talked about what needs to change. And I had attorneys on and uh, I had a few, you know, people who were mediators. But then what I realized was when I had guests on the show who told their story, although it may not have changed that much, it changed them psychologically, letting people tell their story that, to me, that was that was the best thing for that person because when you're in court, you never got to really speak. Right, and exactly. you know the, the lawyer talks for you, and you don't get nobody really knows who you are. So I let people speak for a half hour. They tell their story. It's a great therapy session. It gets to get shown to anybody because it's with the internet. It goes on YouTube and it stays there forever. They can email it, and I, I just found that was a good way to to really make make a difference and. Because I took it seriously, politicians started coming to me and saying, hey, can we come on your show? So it's, it sort of went from just being you know, uh, family law to I've had uh, congressmen on the show, assemblymen on the show, uh, Curtis Slewa from the Guardian Angels. Is that right? Uh, I, yeah, I have doctors on the show. I have lawyers on the show. And, uh, but but you know, I, I just let anybody who wants to, there's so few outlets out there now where you can tell your story. Like you're, we're taking an hour now to talk. Sure. That's, yeah. that's pretty uncommon. You know, most people get a twenty-minute sound, a two-minute soundbite at, at you know on the news. Right. You, you, there's never you don't get to hear the story. You, nobody would know me if you gave me two minutes. I don't even know what I would say. Right. Exactly. Because you know, there's, there's so much more to it. Right. Yeah. So so this way I get a half hour. We let people tell their story. I find it therapeutic for me because I feel like I, I did something and to make a difference in this world and. uh 
you know, and, and I help, I'm helping other people. So I really enjoy doing the uh, Long Island backstory. You know, we get press passes, we go to the courthouses right. and, and cover, cover different news events. Well, and props to you because, you know, there's a few things that I want to really point out, and, I, and, and you're too proud of a guy to, to mention it, but I will. Um, and, and it's the fact that, you know what, you, you, you didn't like the way things were, were going, and you felt that you, you wanted to make a difference. You wanted to stop and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, I don't, I'm, I don't think this is particularly, you know, fair, or you weren't treated fairly, or whatever it is. And like we try to teach our kids, if you don't like something, change it. If you don't like something, make some noise about it. If you don't like something, stand up and be heard. And you know what? And, and through all that, Gary, that's what you've done. I mean, and you look. By the way, with the Long Island backstory, you look very comfortable on camera. You look like you've done it for a million years. And I, I mean, I think that's you know, and good for you. I mean, that's just that's the way things. That's America. You know, that's the right. way it should. Uh, be. Thank you. I appreciate. I, I appreciate that. That's the way. You know, we're taught up. We're taught to fight, but then at the end of the day, a lot of us get wrapped up in our daily business. Oh yeah. And. And you don't, you know what? I try to get a balance, which I don't always do so well. But I try to balance because you still have to make a living. <laughs> so oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I try to, I try to balance the, uh, the the two things. You know, the giving back, and I don't have the money to give to charity anymore. So this is my way of of, of giving back and putting my mark on uh, on the world. And and I also feel like I sort of have the gift of gab. So. I'm comfortable <laughs> talking, and uh, as you see, you, you know you can't stop me. So, um, so I'm comfortable doing that. But you know what? You, a lot of people aren't like you, like you and I, and they can't yep. do that, and they can't yep. stand up for themselves. Right. They're, they're too nervous. They just right. it doesn't come naturally to them. And a lot of times, those people get overlooked and they get abused, you know, in in, in the system. Yeah, so I, I like to, to be their voice. Yeah, absolutely. And and props to you for even doing that. So that's a great tie-in to Scoochie Pet. So let me lay the groundwork, and let's really dig in here on Scoochie Pet. So Scoochie Pet Company was founded in 2014 by pet industry leader, my friend Gary Jacobs, from New York. Scoochie Pet manufactures high-quality products for dogs and cats, including toys, rawhide shoes, body parts, pet carriers, stain removers, shampoos, and many other innovative products. The company is based out of Long Island, New York, and has a showroom and warehouse in Pennsylvania. So, so let's dig in on that one. We've been around that. You've been around the pet industry for years, Gary. Why, you know, these particular products? Is that to go back to the to the old days of what you've always seen back in the days of of, of running Puppies Plus and some others that shoes and carriers and things like that? I mean, or these growing segments in the industry today? Why those particular types of products? Well, it's actually it changed a lot, and I learned not only did I learn what to do from from my years at Votoys, but I learned what not to do. Right. <laughs> so right. Uh, right. I think that's almost more important than what I learned to, to do because in the pet industry, it's it's just a, it's evolved so fast over the years. And when I saw the companies who 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 failed and the companies who succeeded, the ones that succeeded were the ones that really followed the trends in the market. And sometimes you can create a trend. But there's many times that there's nothing you can do. This is the way right. it's trending, and you better go with it or you're going to get left behind. Right. And a perfect example of that is I made a career selling rawhide dog bones, just regular hide tied up in, <clears throat> in, into a knot. And we, I sold millions of dollars. And everybody I went to, I would write a huge order with that. But over the last couple of years, a few things happened. Number one, people started to shy away from consumable items that came from China because of some, some bad recalls and dogs getting sick and some real things and some not real, but it, it didn't matter what, whether it was their perception or reality. People didn't want products that their dogs chewed and consumed that were made in China. 
Number two was that uh, there started to be a trend towards going to more natural products rather than rawhide. For example, right. uh, pig's ears, uh, regular natural bones, beef ribs, cow's ears. You know, we, we call them body parts rather than right. rawhide. And right. in the last 10 years, I would say the rawhide business has dropped 80%. How? But the dollars are still being spent. They're just being spent differently. They're, they're being spent on things like bully sticks. Um, yep. Those are popular items. And, and, and again, trending to products either made in the USA or made in, uh, in South America, mainly Brazil, where they have higher, you know, higher, uh, higher standards. So uh, that's been a huge change. So when I started doing my products, I, I developed a line of natural body parts that are made strictly uh, in Brazil. I, I became uh, friendly with a factory down there, and we do products that are made in Brazil, and we, uh, we irradiate them to make sure there's no, no problems with salmonella or E. coli. We do that in New Jersey. Um, another thing I realized was that Although commodity toys still sell, which is basically, you know, a regular plush toy that's shaped like a ball. They sell, they sell every day, but I can't compete as, as a small guy. I can't compete with a Walgreens, a Walmart, a Target, a Dollar Tree. There's just no way I could, I could win that game competing apples to apples. So I needed to be different. And although dogs still do like basic you know, plush toys and vinyl oh, yeah. balls and ladies. Once with those squeaky little thing in there, my dog goes they, they, nuts exactly. for that Exactly. They, they do like them, but you know, you know what I need to set myself apart was to come out with products that are, are of value and they, they, last, they last longer than a traditional toy that somebody's going to yeah. buy in a yeah. big box store. Right. And that's sort of my niche is, to, is uh, they're innovative products because at the end of the day, a design, it, it, people aren't going to pay more because my bird is a prettier bird than the other person's bird. You know, uh, although we, I try to come out with unique designs, you know, I have rabbits, I have natural animals looking, but the main thing is the construction of the toy, that when the person spends twelve ninety nine for my dog toy at retail, rather than 3 or four ninety nine at Walmart, that they're going to feel like they got two or three times the value. You know, the dog's going to play with it more, it's not going to be destroyed in two minutes, um, that they have to, you know, and, and that's, that varies per person, what they feel is the good value. Does the toy last for... An hour in the person's happy, or does it last for a month in the person's happy? Exactly. You know, that, that's that, that's sort of a, a variable. But they, you know that you want it to last longer than it would if they bought the, a, a toy that was just a cheap toy over, over the counter. The main product that I focus on and that I really believe is the future uh, of our company is a product called uh, WhizBegone. Okay. Which is Wiz Begone, yep, which is uh, a natural organic pet stain remover that's made in the USA. And this goes back to what we talked earlier about how you can have the best packaging in the world, but if the product doesn't work, you're not going to build, build your Correct. sales on it. Right. And there are a lot of cheap stain removers for, for pets on the market because you can just take a detergent, put it in a bottle in China, ship it to America, and sell it for, for $1.99. The right. problem is it doesn't work. Right. So when we came out with Wisby Gone, we said, you know what? Based on my experience, I want the best stain remover out there. I want somebody to notice a difference when they use this, when their dog has an accident on the floor, that they look right. at it and go, wow, this product worked. I'm going to tell my friend about it, and they're going to tell their friend, and for years I'm going to buy this, this product. So we really came out with the best formula. We made sure that we only used uh, organic, natural uh, ingredients. 
because that's a big thing because a lot of people are, you know, they have, they have children at home, you're spraying it on the carpet. You don't want a harsh detergent on your carpet where your kid's going to roll around on it. That's right. You know, and, uh, or maybe even you would spray it in the cage where the dog will lick it. Right. So right. we really took all the, all the hot selling points. And, and at the end of the day, the product is more expensive than a lot of the mass market brands that are out there. You know, there's just no way around it. When you're using, you know, two enzymes and you're concentrating it, it costs more money. You know, if you look at the product, it looks like a bottle of water because it's clear. So the consumer really can't tell. So the, the key for us was that we had a great package, that we tell the story, which is what I try to, I try to right. tell the story by doing infomercials. Yeah. Um, you know, I go to trade shows. Uh, I, go to, I go to any of the pet fairs I can, try to talk to people and just get it in their hands and say, hey, go home and try this product. It's the best product out there. And that seems to be working for us. And that's really, that's really our growth is with the, uh, is with the pet stain remover. Well, let's stay with that for a second because you, you hit on a couple of really cool things. And first of all, um, I want to be the first to tell you that I'm certainly pulling for you, and I want this to be the IAMS um, story of uh, of your world where, you know, again, it's the product itself, which is awesome. Um, second of all, you know, all the pieces come together. So let's hope that you kind of march this off into the sunset because I really hear it in your voice and the fact that, you know, you really – and truly said, hey, we're going to create something that's going to be a showstopper. We're going to create something that is an awesome product, um, that it's not going to be some you know, watered-down detergent from China. So let's stay with that for a second. How long did it take you to develop Wisby Gone? So, well, the name, I, so I actually had the name for, uh, for a long time, the name Wisby Gone. I sort of had it in my head because when I was growing up, uh, when my kids were growing up, I'm sorry, my son would always say, you know, we'd, we didn't want him to say P. So he would right. have to take a whiz. Yes, and I sort right. of had that, that in my, that, that word whiz was in my head all the time. And, and as you know, when you're trying to create a brand, oh, yeah. a lot of brands, are t- the names are taken already. <laughs> you know, anything with, with the word P or urine or oh, yeah, exactly. Has, they're, they're just taken. They're got, somebody either owns the website, they own the trademark, you know, in, in a state. So it's very difficult to come up with a, with a name that's not being used. So when I, I said I want to do something with the word whiz, because I, I use that for my son, and uh, actually the name Scoochie was from my son, uh, my son Ryan. That was his nickname growing up. They used nice. to, uh, we used to call him Scoochie, and his friends would call him that. So <laughs> it was sort of sticking with that same, that same theme. And I also was going, I always had in the back of my mind the word Yukonuba, that that word meant nothing. And because it meant nothing, it made people talk about it. Sure did. And sure did. I said, you know what? Yeah. I want something like that. And Scoochie, people will always ask, what does Scoochie mean? Where did you get the name from? And, and a lot of what I, I believe about the marketing is having a story to tell. And, yep. you know, that gives me a story to tell. And sometimes when I go in on a cold call, I go, hi, Gary from Scoochie Pet. That opens up. That just opens up the conversation, and if I tell them <laughs> that was my son's nickname and they have a son, sometimes that just helps me connect personally to the person absolutely and uh and, that, and that's all it takes so the whiz be gone is sort of it's a name that when people see it people just tell me all the time oh wow i love i love the name whiz be gone you know it t- tells you what it is <laughs> you now know, are you selling it wholesale um or are you selling it re- retail tell us a little bit more about so how we, we're we speaking so so scoochie pet products only sells only sells wholesale okay um so we we sell to uh, distributors, we sell directly to retailers, we sell directly to people who sell on uh, who sell online. So, for example, I do not sell any because I don't want to compete with my own customers. Right. 
um, because then they, then they lose the incentive. And as we went back to originally with people, with pet shops pushing the dog food, um, and that's what built, built the customers. If I'm just going to go out there and sell, I have nobody out there building my brand for me. There's no that's incentive. Right. They put it, they'll put it on the shelf, and if it sells, it sells, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. So if you, if you stand behind the retailers and your customers, distri- the distributors, the online people, they have an incentive to promote your item and, right. and to build it. So and are you, are I don't you sell spend- to Amazon direct, um, okay. but I do sell to people who sell to Amazon. You know, it. so it is available on Amazon, on eBay, and many, uh, you know, many of the large box, re- uh, medium box retailers. I won't say the A's, but you know, we don't right. sell to the WalMarts, the Targets, you know, right. Kmart's, but we do sell to, you know, some twenty stores and fifteen store chains. And are you spending a lot of time at the the various trade shows like Global Pet or Super Zoo, those kind of things? Yeah, absolutely. That's you know, that's where. You know, it's one thing to sell the people who who I who I know. Right. You know, I've been in the industry for a long time, but of course, the people I know evolve and the buyers change. So, for us, the trade shows are very important on, on one hand, but it's very difficult in some of these trade shows because the pet industry is so large now. When you, right. you mentioned the global pet show, it's truly a global pet show. Oh, it's massive! People come it's from all over the world. Yep. You know, and, and now we're competing with manufacturers. You know who come from who come from overseas. The Chinese government subsidizes I know, I know. You know, people to come here and compete with the people that they were selling. So, uh, so we're competing, you know, with people who who own the factories. So you, it's it's hard to stand out at these trade shows. Um, but that's that's what our attempt is to do is to stand out and say, hey, we have the best product. We're a mom and you know basically a mom and pop or family owned. Um, yep. We're not a big chain, and this is who we support. We support you well, guys. You know, the mom and pop retail. So our business is really built, other than the people I know, at trade shows. Well, and, and you know what, I'll tell you. And the, and the one thing that's, that's so cool is I hear that passion in your voice. You're not going to be, you know, one of the things I, I often will say here as we wrap up an interview is, you know, what are some of the things you're most proud of in the past, in for your case, 30, 30 years in the industry in various forms. But I'll answer it for you, Gary. I mean, you're a guy that's not going to take no. I don't mean no in a bad sense. You're, you're a passionate guy that you can hear it in your voice. Um, I know our listeners can hear it. This is something that means something to you. You're not doing this because it's a job. You're doing this because it means something to you. Obviously, your passion for pets, your passion for um, making a difference, your passion for you know doing something different. And and man, I just I hope you'll come back uh, and keep us informed about what's happening with Scoochie Pet. Uh, I really want to know more about Wisby Gone and how that's going. Um, I too will be at Super Zoo and Global Pet and some of those other things. So I, I want to definitely make sure you and I can go and break some bread together and have a coffee because your your passion is infectious and I and I really mean yeah, absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. I lo- I lo- you know what? If you don't love doing it, it's too hard to get up every day. Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I love doing it. I used to say I have the best job in the world because I'm only selling products that help that help people. That's take right. care of their animals better. I'm making right. you know the world a better place by my advocacy with with family law reform. And when I'm selling pet right. products, you know, I, I get, it's it's really it's really a great thing. I, I couldn't if I won the lottery tomorrow, I'd still be out there selling Wisby Gone and Gucci pet products because to me, people, my customers are family. It's like visiting friends. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm not selling snake oil. I'm selling something That's that correct. works. I'm letting the retailer make money. And the consumer is getting a value for, for their money. So, you know, well, thanks, what better Gary. job can there be? You got it, man. And scoochypets.com and phone number is 516-455-6631. Special thanks once again 
to our producer, Jamie Berling, executive producer, Winston Winnie Price, and all of you for listening. Until next time, folks, remember, it's your product. Package it properly. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Ditch the Box. We're live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please join David Marinak for another great show next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.